Do not let me seek the company of those who love iniquity. Rather, let good men, when I am transgressing, rebuke me, strike me, punish me. This will, like healing ointment, be a welcome kindness and a blessing. Looking for company in which we can walk and seeking to be corrected in appropriate ways are the things that are mentioned in our Bible passage today. We'll be reflecting on that in, uh, as we read together from Philippians chapter 3. We'll be reading the verses 1 to 21, but we'll be focusing especially today on uh, the verses 17 to 21. 1 to uh, 16 as a little bit of context again, reflecting on what we've been covering over the last while in the letter to the Philippians, and then 17 to 21 as what Uh, as a topic that we'll be focusing on, the passage that we'll be focusing on today, you'll be able to find that if you have a pew Bible, you'll be able to find that on page 1350 of your pew Bible. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And here comes our text for today. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping 
that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, join in following my example. In a day and age of social media influencers and reality TV stars, this is a phrase that seems to play right into human nature. There is a section of society that finds delight and power in having people copy the things that they have learned for themselves. And it can be a good money-making enterprise, too. One such TV show that I googled, Keeping Up With The Kardashians, has made the Kardashian family wealthy and famous. Whether clothing or exercise programs, diets or more, they have started fashion trends in society, influenced people, and benefited greatly from their position. Is it power, fame, and wealth that is motivating the Apostle Paul? Well, if you've been following along through the letter to the Philippian church, you know that that's definitely not the case. Writing this letter from prison as one who is suffering for the sake of the gospel, you can see that he's not in it for the power and the money. Or if he is, he's doing a very bad job at it. Our own human natures incline this way, we know. We want the affirmation of others. We want people to love us and to recognize us, even if as introverts it's just a small group of people. That's baked into human nature. But we need to recognize that while God calls us to a life that is to be imitated, There's something with so much more power that we have to share than simply clothing, habits, or diets. And that's what the Apostle Paul is aiming for when he says to his friends in Philippi, watch me, take my life into account and watch me. See the power of the gospel. See if the gospel makes any difference. Watch me and then join in following my example. Would you dare to say that? Or if you're new to the faith, you're uncertain about how to live in obedience, there are areas you'd like to grow in. Would you feel confident to humble yourself and look for mature Christians as examples to help you grow in that specific area? To come to them and ask, may I watch you. Let's consider that as we reflect on Paul's words under this theme. Imitate Paul as living as citizens of heaven. And we'll see, first of all, the call, second, the rejection, and third, the citizens. 
First of all, we need to see that the Apostle Paul is genuinely saying, watch me. It's good to reflect on this because it's a genuinely challenging thing to reflect on. Why is it so challenging? Well, what Paul is asking seems so contrary to what he wrote earlier in Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 3, we read, In lowliness of mind, let, us, let, let each esteem others better than himself. And again, when we look to chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, we read, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Christ's whole mission, Christ's whole mission involved making himself to be of no account. This is what's challenging when we read these words, watch me. So it can be easy in light of that to pass by this passage, slightly confused, and then move on. And yet there's no hidden message. It's clear that he genuinely wants people to watch him. We know he's saying this because we see him making this statement again and again and again. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Philippians 4 verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 to 9, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happens to me at Iconium and Antioch and at Lystra. And there are many more passages like that that we find throughout the New Testament. And that brings us back to our passage here today as well. Join in following my example. And not just my example, also note those who so walk. So he's saying here, do look at my life. But here we need to be clear. Watching Paul has nothing to do with looking for affirmation. Looking at Paul's life has nothing to do with how it benefits him, with Paul feeling better about how other people perceive him. Getting affirmation for what they've accomplished, being looked up to for what you've done, is part of what he calls the Philippians to leave behind in the verses 2 to 7. Earlier in this very chapter, you saw the Apostle Paul reflecting on this. He says, I have a pretty good heritage, humanly speaking, a pretty good righteousness, if you look at it from man's perspective, and a passion for the gospel, again, from a human perspective. But 
that's not what I'm going to look at, and that's not what I want you to look at either. Paul does not want to put on display his own righteousness. We've got to be clear on that when we consider his words here. We also ought to examine our own hearts as we consider these words here. Do you have that human inclination? When it comes to how others perceive you, how others look at you, your parents, your children, your classmates, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, are you consumed with wanting their approval? Do you want their approval to make you feel good? This motive will trip you up. This human inclination is part of what we are called to leave behind. The chains of this to leave behind, to rejoice in the freedom of Jesus Christ. In our passage today, it's clear that the Apostle Paul is not saying, watch me to get affirmation, to have other people look at him to feel good about himself. When Paul says, watch me. He doesn't do this to draw attention to himself, but he does this to show people the answer to the question. I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, where do I go from here? I want to conform my life to Jesus Christ, just like you said, Paul. But how do I do that in the situation that I am in here today? What does a life that's changed by the gospel look like? He's not setting an example to make himself feel good. He is saying, watch me for their good. This is a different perspective. He's not hiding one part of himself and saying, look at the good parts of my life. He's saying, look at all of my life. Now, where do I look in all of this, in these different areas of my life? Who are my eyes fixed on? He takes his eyes off of himself And he opens his life to them and applies it to their benefit. He's not looking for affirmation from them. He's acting as their mentor. And it's not just any kind of mentorship either. It's reminding his brothers and sisters, his dear friends in the gospel in Philippi, to focus on what is important. It's reminding the Philippians to focus on what he has just preached on in the verses that came before what it looks like to leave those things behind, to continue to fight with sin, to put away sin, and to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He is teaching them what living as those belonging to Christ and therefore citizens of Christ's kingdom, verse 20, what that looks like. And this brings us to the second thing that we'll consider. The second thing he brings up in the passage today, the rejection. In order to see what living in light of their new citizenship, this this new life that they have in Jesus Christ, 
looks like, he first brings up what it looks like to reject this life as citizens of the kingdom. This rejection is the second thing that's brought out in our reading today. Namely, the reason he wants them to watch his life, his life, is because there are those who by their actions have rejected Christ and they are, in the words of Psalm 141, the company of those who love iniquity. They are those who are acting in a certain way that could lead the hearts of the people of God in that place astray. They are simply by their living there before their eyes, if they are not intentional about the way that they live, they are those who can lead them astray, who they would imitate even indirectly. Even if they don't think they are going to act that way, uh, they are influenced by the way that they behave. The reason he wants them to watch his life is because there are those who by their actions, although they took on, took on the name of Christ, have rejected Christ. He says this in verse 18, the reason I want you to join in following my example is because, verse 18, many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. There's two things to note here. I'll note the first briefly. The first is that there is no satisfaction in his heart when he speaks of the end of those who have set themselves up as enemies being destruction. There are tears. He speaks of them with weeping. It's a sad thing when people are going down the road of destruction. The second thing to note is this. That by pointing out their lifestyle, he is pointing out that examples are important. And he wants the Philippians to follow the appropriate examples. By speaking to them of patterns and of examples, he's outlining for them that there are two ways that you can approach the world. One in the pattern of the flesh and one in the pattern of the spirit. He had already emphasized that there are those who have their minds and their hearts set on things of the flesh. Earlier in the chapter, he held up the Judaizers who were looking at the cultural patterns and their own righteousness as markers of their being right in the eyes of the law. These Judaizers saw holding on to every minute detail of the law as their righteousness before God. Yet in acting this way, they were still focusing on the flesh and the power and the ability of their own flesh to gain righteousness before God. But those Judaizers were only one side of the coin. They are only one way that people pattern their lives after holding on to the flesh instead of living as a citizen of God's kingdom. In our text today, he shows us the other extreme. Those who have rejected all obedience to the law. They're not any better off. Yes, they put no confidence in the flesh, but by their actions, they show they've done something even more terrible. They, 
by their actions, they've removed God from the throne and put their own God of their own desires on the throne. The God of pursuit of earthly things for themselves. You see, the Judaizers at least attempted to have God on the throne as they came to him. But these people didn't even try for that anymore. Verse 19, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame. What does that look like? Their God is their belly. It's the idea of whatever you, you set your eyes on with regards to food, you set your heart and your desire on and you take hold of it and you take it in. There are no breaks, nothing to hold you back. You only want to serve your appetites. And it's a picture for the appetites, the spiritual appetites as well. They don't see sin as all that bad. In fact, they knowingly go after it. This isn't them falling back into sin when struggling and asking forgiveness when God convicts you of your guilt. They are deliberately choosing sin and glorying in it. Christ's death was an unfathomable sacrifice to pay for the horror of sin. And yet, they take it lightly when they choose shamelessly to pursue their own ends because they see little in the way of their own sin. They, along with the Judaizers, are called by Paul enemies of the cross of Christ. Because just as the Judaizers thought much of their own righteousness, so too do these people think little of their own sin. They don't see it as something that they should strive to put it behind them. Rather, they glory in it. Loved ones, if you are in either of those categories, either you've put all of your eggs in the basket of your own righteousness, or you think that your sin is no big deal and you can continue to pursue your own ends and glory in your sin, the Holy Spirit is clear here that such people are behaving as enemies of the cross of Christ. One commentator writes this, that the message of the cross, which is nothing other than the gospel, Indeed, an exhaustive statement of the content of the gospel, namely that Christ must be crucified, that the Messiah had to die in order for sinners to be forgiven by God. This was the very thing that was rejected by both of these points of view and the actions that characterized them. The cross and the need for the cross is left behind. The message is clear that such points of view call us to repentance. We need to look carefully at who we imitate when it comes to the things of God. Not to seek to imitate those who have their eyes set on earthly, uh, on earthly lusts and glorying in their own sin, the pursuit of earthly things as they have taken their eyes off of Jesus Christ and turned them once again to their own flesh. Doing so leads to grief before the face of God. But to seek those, seek to imitate those 
who have their eyes set on heaven. Have your eyes set on heaven. This brings us to the third emphasis of our passage. Paul teaches his readers here that the examples that he speaks of don't focus on their flesh, but rather their hope is heavenly. They are the ones who press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those who live in light of their new citizenship. Verse 20. And Paul uses three words in verse 20 to emphasize that. Citizenship, Savior, and Lord. Now you need to understand what these three words that Paul brings up in the his passage here today meant to the Philippian church. Verse 24, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly, also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand when you're reading these words what these three words would have meant to the Philippian church. In the first place, Philippi was a colony of veterans. Soldiers who had settled down there after some significant battles in their own history. Philippi was therefore considered to be an outpost of Rome. And any person who was a citizen of that city was also considered to be a citizen of Rome. This was something that they took great pride in. Now, in the Greek world, where, in the Greek world especially, where, where Philippi was located, a citizen should make his own interests and profit secondary to that of the city. This was just the philosophy that was accepted in the day, the philosophy of the society the Philippian church found themselves in. This was what the Philippians were exposed to day after day. They should make their own interests secondary to that of the city, of the kingdom that they were a part of of their world, small corner of the world. The rule of Rome taught the Philippian citizens that their interests lay with the emperor. And the propaganda of the Roman Empire taught them that the emperor, emperor of the day was their savior and their lord. Paul here is turning that on its head. Jesus Christ, he says, is your Savior and Lord. And your citizenship lays not with Rome, but your citizenship lays in heaven. Just as Philippi was an outpost of the empire with Caesar as Savior and Lord, the Philippian church is an outpost of heaven with Jesus as Savior and Lord. For those of us who find ourselves trapped in sin, he has died for us to save us from sin. Verses 7 to 11, he is our Savior. For those of us who feel hopelessly trapped in sin, all of us are trapped in sin, but for those of us who feel especially hopelessly trapped in sin, this is the comfort that is brought out by these words. Verses 7 to 11, that he has died for us to save us from sin. And then we belong to him, verse 12. We belong to him. He has taken hold of us. He is our Lord. 
And we have a new identity now as citizens of a heavenly realm that we can build around, not just one as fleshly people belonging to a fleshly city. Paul's desire is for us to see ourselves not as an outpost of the world and not as putting, a priority, putting as a priority the things of the flesh. He wants us to, to live as we are, citizens of an outpost of heaven. Those who recognize their sin, those who recognize their own need, those who put their own striving for their righteousness in themselves, and those who put that pursuing of uh, earthly things, fleshly things, glorying in sin, those who seek to put all of that behind them, and to glory in who we are, being citizens of an outpost of heaven. Paul calls us to move away from depending on ourselves and glorying in the flesh and to find our joy in the Lord, verse 1. To find our joy in being citizens of heaven. So these three words then that he brings forward, citizenship, Savior, and Lord, suddenly turns the Philippians' identity on its head. It turns what they are surrounded by in society on its head. It also shows us that the gospel can't help but impact your life because it turns the world on its head. The gospel is your passport, the passport that marks your citizenship as the members of the kingdom of heaven. So what does the gospel give us? When we last were in this passage, we saw how the Apostle Paul laid out the things that are left behind and pointed to what we press towards. In Christ, we have a new heritage, not an earthly, fleshly heritage that's bound in the fall in the Garden of Eden, but one of redemption in the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross beyond. In Christ, we now have a new righteousness no longer clothed in filthy rags, even the best attempts of our own works, but adorned with the pure white robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Christ as citizens, we have a new zeal, not our own, not one which leads to persecution and harm of fellow Christ followers, or that which goes up and down with our own emotions, but resting in the zeal of Jesus Christ himself, who was willing to leave behind the riches of heaven and come down to earth in poverty to suffer to the point of death to bring us to him. The glorious outcome is, this is the glorious outcome of being citizens of heaven, of that gospel message that he brings to us. And it's in hope of heaven that we are now spurred on to act as citizens of heaven, after all, if the rest of Greek society views their citizenship in this way and seeks to imitate each other in putting their city ahead of themselves, they let their citizenship shape who they are and how they do. How much more, says Paul, should we not do the same? But this brings us back to the beginning again. 
How do we go about doing this? How do kingdom citizens live in this earth? The gospel is true and it has become our own. How do we now live in response to this? What does that look like practically? What do you do when you want to grow in your Christian walk or learn how to overcome sin in different areas of your life and walk in obedience? Look for those who have been doing what you hope to grow in for many years. But who? You often have it that younger brothers and sisters in the faith want to know, how do I raise my family in the fear of God? How do I enrich my devotional life? How do I improve my prayer life? How do I live a godly life? What does faith look like? What does love look like? What does patience look like? What do these patterns look like? Perhaps the displays that have been there in their life, the, the people that they have grown up around have not been the best people to imitate and they've been shaped in a particular direction and now it's been brought to light and they see it with their eyes that there is a problem, a systemic problem that I have living day after day in a particular way of life. And now I, my eyes have been opened to that problem. How do I address this? The challenging thing is that in our circles, there may be brothers and sisters who say, I don't know anything. Don't look to me. 30, 40, 50 years a Christian and yet don't look to me. I'm no one. And it's seen as a sign of humility. But imagine an industry in which people did this. Let's say you're a carpenter and you've been doing this for a few decades. Someone comes alongside and says, you're a master carpenter, I want to apprentice with you. But your response is, I don't know anything. Don't look to me. Who do they look to then? And when we, if, if that is our answer, perhaps we have to ask ourselves, after all these years, if we genuinely mean it, have we really remained unchanged? If you have remained unchanged, untouched by the gospel after all these years, perhaps you should join with others to seek out a godly role model, to seek out those who dwell richly in the word and it comes to life in their lives, to seek out those whose life truly reflects them, taking their eyes off of themselves and whose lives reflect a lifetime of leaning on the redemptive work of Christ, not the perfect Christians, but the redeemed ones. The ones who are aware of their redemption, who live this life eagerly looking forward to heaven's glories.
But if you are one of those Christians who has sought to do that your whole life, don't be afraid when people come to you to seek, to learn, and to grow from you. Join with each other and spur each other on. I say this not to discourage you, loved ones, but to encourage you. To encourage you to open your lives in seeking help and to open your lives in being willing to offer an example, being willing to embrace those who are looking for help. You aren't perfect. You haven't attained the fullness of our salvation yet, not on this side of heaven. The Apostle Paul himself confessed his imperfections right there in verse 12, and you and I were no different. Yet you have been granted the grace of Christ and dwelling in the grace of Christ for many years. You have been a kingdom citizen for many years, living as a citizen of the outpost of the kingdom of heaven, pressing on towards that goal. So don't be afraid then to answer, you don't know if the gospel makes a difference. You don't know what a gospel love looks like. Come into my home. Live life alongside of me and my family. See our successes and our failures. See our sins, our forgivenesses, our griefs and our joys. Then see if the gospel doesn't make a difference. See if our God doesn't make a difference. Invite people into your lives and let them see the way in which you live your life, not as a perfect Christian, but as a redeemed Christian. Let them see a life that's been shaped by the gospel, not a fleshly gospel of plastic human righteousness, but a divine gospel that is not afraid to speak of that redemption at work in you. Don't fear that you're not perfect and that you don't have it all together. The fear of others seeing our lack of perfection is one of those things that we can leave behind. One of the chains that would otherwise bind you that Christ has freed you from, as Paul teaches earlier in our chapter. But as a kingdom citizen, show them where you've been looking for salvation. That one place alone, Jesus Christ. Christ in whom your imperfections have been cleansed, in whom your hope lies, imperfectly maybe in this world, but that's only going to be a greater comfort to those imperfect people who come to you. Not that you have attained or are already perfected, but by God's grace and the power of Christ, together you press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of you. And as we open our lives to each other in this way, as we put ourselves on display in this way, we will show to each other that you are not alone. You're not alone in the way that you struggle with sin. You're not alone in the depth of grace that you need and in the redemption that you need. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected. We have not attained in full, but we've been laid hold of. Daily we are being conformed to his glorious body, verse 21. Daily he is taking our weak and mortal bodies and changing them 
using the same power that he's using to bring everything else in this universe under his control. So, loved ones, press on in the hope of the glories of heaven where you will meet your Redeemer, where the transformation that is going on in your lives will be perfected, and do so hand in hand with your redeemed brothers and sisters. Amen.